What's going on family? Josh here. Today we're starting a brand new conversation that we're calling how to be human. Because there's a big difference between living and being fully alive, right? Like you can live every day and do the nine to five and wake up every single morning and live. But a different question is, are you actually alive? And so today, today we're going to kick off this conversation. And to kick off the conversation that we're going to have today, I like to tell you a story it comes from my childhood about when I was 11 years old, and I went to a Grateful Dead concert. Hold on with me, because this is a fantastic, fantastic uh, story. So the year was 1999, and I found myself in a busted up white church van on my way to hand out Bibles to a bunch of Grateful Dead roadies. Now, let me, let me kind of give you a, a baseline uh, of all the characters in the story, right? So if you're not familiar with the Grateful Dead, they're a folk rock 70s uh, band that initially started the summer love movement. Them um, with Janis Joplin from San Francisco, they were big pivotal characters in the whole summer of love movement. And if you're part of summer love, you may, you may get called what's called a hippie, right? Now, hippie culture, man, hippie culture has some beautiful and wondrous things about it. But at the same time, there's some uh, social cultural tensions. Today's not the day to get into that, but if you've been alive for more than 10 minutes, I think you understand where I'm going with that. I remember my youth pastor telling us that we're going to go hand out all these Bibles to what's called the Deadheads. And the Deadheads were the roadies for the Grateful Dead. Now, the Grateful Dead is known to have one of the most loyal fan bases in all of music. Literally, these people on their own dime travel from one concert to the next, help set up. They um, they sell merch, like handmade t-shirts, handmade tie-dye t-shirts, are you kidding me? Uh, food, whatever they need to sell, whatever they need to do, just so they can get to the next concert. But it's really only about like half of it is about the music. The other side of the coin is the community and, and the culture that's around the Grateful Dead. Not only do the Grateful Dead have the most loyal fan base of pretty much any musician, but the Grateful Dead, they started, they started culture. I would even argue they started a deep sense of belonging for their, their roadie deadhead community. I remember my youth pastor kind of put us in a circle before we got there. And you would think it was as if we were about ready to go to war. He was telling all these pre-teenagers that you will see things you have never seen before. You're going to hear things you've never heard before. What he didn't tell me was I was also going to smell things <laughs> that I've never smelled before. And you would think, again, you would think it was as if he was preparing us for like D-Day or something. It was as if we were going behind enemy lines to hand out Bibles to those who needed to be converted to our way of living and being. I remember like it was yesterday, the, the van ride over to the Grateful Dead compound. Uh, Susan was in the back crying. <laughs> um, it was so like silent. Like everyone was kind of thinking like, what is this experience going to be like? Like, what is this all about? 
And I'll never forget what happened the moment those church van doors swung wide open. I did hear things I've never heard before. I did see things I had never seen before. I most definitely smelled things I had never smelled before. But it was almost like immediately I found a deep like sense of belonging in that particular moment. I'll never forget this 11-year-old chubby prepubescent Josh going around handing out Bibles. And even though this culture uh, vividly resists anything that smells like organized religion, they embraced me for who I was. I'd never been so hugged. Uh, so many times in my life. I'd never seen so many smiles. I've never seen people be so happy to meet someone in their life. I'll never forget uh, this this lady, full-fledged naked woman, <laughs> invites me into her tent. Stay with me, okay? This is PG-13. Invites me into her tent. And uh, it was a full-fledged hot box moment, if you know what I'm talking about. And... Uh, we had a beautiful conversation about her life. She had more hair under her arms than I've ever had in my entire life. And she was an absolutely beautiful soul. And in that whole entire spectrum, like I'm there to make you like me, right? But I immediately found a sense of belonging with these people that I had no sort of connection with before this day. It was like the moment I stepped foot into that compound, that little culture, I belonged. Have you, have you, you, have you ever been somewhere where you just immediately knew that you belonged? Like, have you ever experienced something brand new? And when you experienced that brand new thing, did it feel like home to you? Right? Because again, I looked nothing like these people. They all had way more hair than I've ever had and I'm pretty sure I've taken way more showers than any of them have ever taken. But every part of my individuality did not say that I could belong there, right? Yet, what happened? I immediately found a home there. Like, you know what I find so audaciously paradoxical about this experience? This experience? I was sent there to make these people like me, right? But in return, they accepted me for the exact way that I was. And because of that, I wanted to be like them. You know, when I see Jesus create community with people, uh, how he celebrates people, how he chooses people, how he, how he accepts them, I sometimes feel like, uh, I sometimes feel like it looks way more like a deadhead roadie than it does that 11-year-old Josh handing out all those Bibles. You know, we talk, about, we talk about a lot of things when we talk about Jesus, right? And rightfully so, because there's a lot to talk about when it comes to Jesus. There's the miracles, walking on water, turning, turning water into wine. There's his wisdom and his intellect, his his radical empathy and compassion for all the marginalized places and all the oppressed people of the world, right? 
but we never talk about how much he ate, right? Like Jesus did a whole lot of eating. And it's, and it's even more striking where you see Jesus do all of this eating because he was never really ever eating alone. He was always eating with people. And most of the time, Jesus was eating with people at parties. Like Jesus at parties is literally everywhere throughout the Bible. Like sometimes it's on a beach at a bonfire with his closest friends talking about feeding sheep. Sometimes it's other parties with brand new people. Other times it's meals, knowing something's on the horizon that may cause pain. But this moment, this is a beautiful moment of friendship and food. Like Jesus even picked a party for his first miracle, right? Where water was turned into wine. And we also have all these theologies that are built out of all the things that Jesus did, right? There's, there's soteriology, there's eschatology, there's there's Christology. And all of these, like, don't get me wrong, all these are important. All of these matter, but there's one particular thing that's missing from all of these theologies. That's the theology of partying, right? Because Jesus, over and over again, he's found at parties, and most of the time, he's, he's eating at these parties. Like, see, sal- salvation and resurrection, shaking our fists at the system. Uh, giving every soul a place to belong. Yes, those are very central to who Jesus is. But Jesus also shows us a whole lot of celebration. He shows us a whole lot of joy, um, community collaboration around an activity, a party, dancing, laughter, fun. These are all things that are so very central to who Jesus is. And that means it's very central to what it means to be human. And so if Jesus, if Jesus is an example of what it means to be fully human, then I think we need to learn how to throw really good parties. So today, today we're going to learn how to throw a really good party. Uh, We're going to look back at one particular moment where Jesus shows up at a party And he kind of lays out the blueprint of how to throw the best type of party. And so this picks up in Luke 14, and this is what it says. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked their places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, Do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. So if so, the host who invited you, uh, who invited both of you, will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited to a party, take the lowest place. Because that's when your host will come and say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all of the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves 
will be exalted. Now, to understand what's happening here, we have to understand first century Jewish customs around sharing a meal at someone's house, or in this case, Jewish customs when you go to a party. Because if you don't understand the Jewish customs and the imagination behind throwing a party, you may miss some of the deep central themes that are happening in this story. So first, there's a couple things to know. First, sharing a meal in the Jewish imagination, that meant that you're standing in favor of that person's life, right? So who you're sharing a meal with is a really big deal. I would even argue that sharing a meal with someone who isn't anything like you, that is a social political statement. And that's something that got Jesus in trouble all the time, right? Because he would share meals with both government officials and people resisting the government. Like Jesus always sat in the intersection of those both, uh, both of those worlds and he would create space for those, both of those worlds and he would share meals. He would party with both of those worlds, right? So that's the first thing to know that who you share a meal with, that's a big deal. But even more importantly than the meal, where you sit at the party, that was also a huge political statement. Now, a Jewish table, a Jewish table, literally the physical table, it most likely looked a lot like a Roman dining room because remember, Rome is the controlling empire over Israel at this point. Now, a Jewish and a Roman dining table, it's called a triclinium. Now, a triclinium, it has strict protocols to the placement of like where you would sit, right? Now, usually the the triclinium is in a U shape. And so you would have, you would have a seat here and then you would have one here and you'd have one here. Now the family would sit in the section called the lectus summist. And that was on the far right of this like U shape. And that's usually where the owner of the home would sit. And the owner of the home, the family would sit there and the owner would sit at the very top, like top right. So like right at the bottom here, right? Now, the other guests would sit um, at what's called a lectus imus, which is the far left-hand side of, of the shape. And this is for your everyday neighbors who come to these, to these meals, right? But then you have the middle section, the very top section here, right? And that's called the lectus midius. Now, if you're sitting at the lectus midius, this means you are their most valued person in their home. This means also you don't help with the food, you don't serve the food, you do not come to serve, you are there to be served upon. Now this is huge to know because where the homeowner would seat you depended on how important the homeowner thought you were, right? So. If you walked into a dinner party and the owner of the home sat you at the top of the table, that would show the rest of the room that you're more important than all the other people, right? However, there's something else to know here. In both Jewish and Roman culture, uh, you're allowed to see yourself at that table. And the only time you would have to move is if the owner of the host, 
uh, sorry, the owner of the home, the, the host would ask you to move down to another place of honor. Now think about that. That's what Jesus is talking about. How embarrassing would that be if you sat yourself at the lectus midius, like the very top of the top, and the homeowner asked you to move down to the left-hand section, right? But it's also widely known that most of the time, if you were to seat yourself at lectus midius, if you sat yourself at the very top, the host, most of the time, they wouldn't ask you to move. Follow me here. This means then that you could show up to a party and in this culture, you could actually choose to be the most important person in the room. You could choose to be served upon, to be the most famous one in the room, the most liked and the most well-known. And then Jesus, what does he do? Jesus walks into the room and he decides to flip this whole party culture upside down. What does he say? I'll, I'll read it again. When you're invited to a party, um, let me find it. There it is. When someone invites you to a party, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited, right? So what is, what is Jesus really saying here? I think what he's actually saying here is not to go to parties to be served. Go to parties to serve. I'll, uh, let's bring it into 2022. When someone cooks you a meal, offer to do the dishes. Um, if you know you're going to a dinner party, help with the cooking. When the host says, no, I've got it. Like, don't worry about it. Just say, okay, yeah, no problem. And then proceed to help do, uh, start doing the dishes, right? Like if you want to throw the best kind of party, share the work, right? Like participate. Don't just consume what's there. Jesus is saying to participate in creating the laughter of the room. Jesus is saying, don't come to consume the joy. Come to help create the joy. Help and come to create and participate in making the party a party. Because when you share the work, what are you doing? You're, you're sharing in community collaboration. You know, one of the things that uh, Rach and I love to do, we do it quite often, is throw these dinner parties. And this happens all the time when we throw these dinner parties. If you want to know just how freaking beautiful our community of makers here in Portland is, most of the time when we invite them, if not all the time, when we invite them, uh, a lot of times it'll be nice outside, right? So we'll sit out on our, our deck out back and we'll uh, be sharing a meal and we'll get close to the end and I'll go inside to like fill up my water glass or something and there's people and they're doing dishes, right? I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, we'll take care of this. This is our home. And they'll usually reply with, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah. And they just keep doing the dishes. It's a beautiful thing when you participate in creating the laughter and the joy and the work, sharing the load uh, when you go to a party. So Jesus first says to serve, right? But then he also shifts to the other side of the coin. Uh, Jesus also says what to do when you're the one throwing the party. 
This is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to the host, when you give a lunch or dinner, when you, when you throw a party, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or even your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you'll be, rep- you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, when you give, when you throw a party, invite the poor, invite the crippled to your party, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. And although they can't repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. Now, what is this about? What is Jesus saying here? I think Jesus is saying that there's a big difference between networking and love. I think what he's saying here is that we need to stop using people as a commodity that moves our own agenda forward. And when we throw parties, start seeing people as vessels of stories and experiences and love. And how does Jesus say to do that? He says to invite those that look nothing like you. But most importantly, invite those that can't do anything for you in return. Right? So when you throw a party, invite those that can't participate. Invite those over who can't help you pay for the dinner. They can't repay you for what you've done for them. Like that is a beautiful thing about parties, but also a beautiful thing about community. That if you throw a right party, it's actually, it's actually a movement of generosity. Like for example, at our, uh, at our community uh, makers here in Portland, our stage is in the round, which means our stage is in the middle of the room. We do this on purpose, obviously, so we can see one another's faces. And you know what's beautiful about that? Every single Sunday, I look around and realize that if we weren't in this mode of celebrating every Sunday, um, a lot of these people would have never found one another, right? We, we throw that party every Sunday that we call our gatherings, and it's comprised of so many people. And I often wonder, like, what does the celebration of life do? It brings people together you would have never done life with before, right? And then what happens when you begin to experience life outside of your own inner circle? What happens when you throw a party for people who look nothing like you? What happens is you then begin to ask a lot of questions. You begin to ask questions about their life in their human experience, in their story. And almost instantaneously, your world will become much larger. And when your world, your inner world and your outer world becomes larger, your empathy and love for humanity, it's going to begin to grow larger as well. So when you go to a party, go to serve, but when you throw a party, Invite those that look nothing like you to. Um, once Jesus tells these people at this party this story, um, someone replies in the room. It doesn't say who, um, but they, re- re- they reply to Jesus by saying, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Right? It's a little esoteric, but what is the kingdom of God? Well, that is 
the culture and community that Jesus came to give us. See, the, the kingdom was a way to put everything back in its right place, where every sort of human can be at the same party together and they can feel like they belong. And the kingdom here, it really is a party. It is a celebration of the raw and distinct and authentic individuality of every person yeah, who steps, who steps into that kingdom party. I was recently reading some work by a Jewish rabbi who lives out here in Portland. His name is Benjamin. We were actually talking about throwing parties and community, and he brought me into something that honestly like took my breath away. He said that in Jewish party customs, the very end of a meal, you form a circle so you can conclude the meal with a Hebrew circle dance. And at one point in the dance, the host of the party will stand in the middle of that circle and they will say this, that the whole universe takes part in the dancing. God, how, how beautiful is that? The whole universe takes part in the dance. He said that, he said that this reminds us of something that we sometimes forget. That everything in this world moves in celebration and relationship. Parties, community, human celebration, kingdom. It's all part of a much bigger story that's happening in our humanity, right? And I think that this, uh, I think that this universal dance, this cosmic celebration of humans, the kingdom party, I think it points to what is deepest in each and every one of us. And what's deepest in each and every one of us, I firmly believe, is the desire to move in harmony with all people. It's the desire to celebrate you in every little beautiful unique piece that makes you you and so my friends may we participate in this universal dance may we not wait until someone dies to celebrate their life but may we celebrate their life here and now may we go to parties to serve May we throw parties for all kinds of humans, both our family, our friends, and strangers alike. And may you throw a really good party. And may peace and may love be with you every step of the way.